wasn't an oldie, but a goodie. I like to hear songs that we that were around a long time ago and see them brought back from time to time. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. We're in a short series through the book of Philippians, just a chapter a week. So an overview of the book. Esteban set out for us last week that um, unity and joy and the advance of the gospel together is the uh, theme of the book of Philippians. And we're going to start just by reading all of chapter 2 together. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. But each, each of you, point to who each of you is. No, 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 each of you. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare they all seek, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the Gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking 
in your service to me. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, God Almighty, these are your words. They are true forever. And we give thanks and praise that you've given them to us. We thank you for what they teach us, what they tell us about your servants, and primarily your servant, Jesus Christ, your Son. I pray that you would bear fruit, that you would accomplish your purposes in your bride today through your words, that your will would be done, that more of your kingdom would come in our hearts and lives, that our lives would look like this passage of Scripture more and more as we see the day drawing near. Thank you. Holy Spirit, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I titled the message, Humiliating Ourselves for Christ, His Church, and His Gospel. Humiliating ourselves for Christ, His Church, and His Gospel. Now, humiliating is kind of an interesting word, isn't it? Because in the passage, the command is humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. And that's really what this whole chapter is about. And in context, remember, um, some of the, the central passage probably in, in, First Corinthians, or in Philippians is in verse 27 of chapter 1 and following. And reads, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And then jump down to chapter 2, verse 1. So, so what is uh, the Apostle Paul doing here? The Apostle Paul knows that if there's going to be any partnership, any unity, any striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, then what absolutely is required is humility. So that's what chapter 2 is. It's an explanation of what, what will be, has been done uh, in Christ and what we must do if we would actually live out a side-by-side, life-on-life, unity in the church for the faith of the Gospel. And so... The essence of Philippians 2 is to humble ourselves... And we're given several examples, but I didn't use the word humble ourselves on purpose because sometimes words get tired. And we hear the word humble or we hear the word humility and it doesn't strike us, but a word that will strike us is humiliation. And after all, what ultimately is it that humbles us? What is it? It's humiliation. It's humiliation. Right? You're humiliated because of your temptations. You're humiliated because of your sins. Isn't this how you became a Christian? The Holy Spirit convicted you of sin and righteousness and judgment and humiliated you before Almighty God. so that you look to Christ for salvation. Humiliated by our weaknesses. Humiliated by the limits of our very own temperaments as people that are particular to us. We're humiliated by our ignorance. And we're humiliated when we humiliate ourselves and die to ourselves and put others before ourselves. And that's really the essence of Philippians chapter 2 is that humility is dying to yourself to put others before yourself. Humility, in essence, is you before me. Your interests are more important than my interests, your good is more important than my good. Your benefit is worth my cost. Humility really is death to self, you before me. 
That's the essence of what this entire chapter in Philippians is about. And apart from that, no church will advance the gospel together. The church will end up in the negative commands that are in this passage that we'll get to in a minute. Rivalry and conceit, grumbling and disputing. That will be what characterizes the church that does not heed Philippians chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul knows that. Some of us have been a part of churches that were like that. So, humiliating ourselves for Christ, His church, and His gospel. In, in chapter 2 of Philippians, there are four examples of this kind of humiliation. The first is Christ. In the whole first paragraph of verses 1 to verse 11, there's these beautiful statements. Right, The Apostle Paul's building. He's saying, you have all of these reasons, all of these benefits, in the church of Jesus Christ and by the work of Christ. You have all of these benefits. Like this. If there's any, any, if there's any, even just a little bit, of encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, the love of Christ and the love we share, If there's any participation or fellowship in the Holy Spirit, you know, it's these are just they seem so understated, <laughs> you know, and um, and and the answer, of course, is there's. It, it, it's like he's like, well, if there's any, but there's endless amounts of fellowship in the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ Church, and comfort from the love of God's people, and encouragement in Christ. You know, like the hope of eternal life. <laughs> it's just overwhelming and so underwhelming in the way it's stated. But the point is, any affection and sympathy? Do you find any affection and sympathy in Bloomington Bible Church? Of course you do. Of course you do. And there is. That's the point of all of these. And there is. And since there is, I love how the Apostle Paul says things like this. Complete my joy. Pastors have not done well in making the way the Apostle Paul functions useful. Because imagine if I stood here and said to you, would you please think about the benefits you have in this church of Jesus Christ? Would you make me joyful, please? Complete my joy. Give me some joy in the work that I'm doing. Now, if I said that to you, what do you think? You think, what a self-serving monster. And I say, you actually need to repent of thinking like that. Because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing. And that's supposed to be useful for the church. Not just for Philippi, but for us. You know? This is one of the reasons I feel so weird as a pastor today, because... The great failure, one of the great failures in pastoral ministry is for pastors to not understand what the Apostle Paul is actually doing when he says these things and never, ever being willing to do them. Because when the Apostle Paul says this, it's in the context of his humility. And because we are masters at calling good evil and evil good, we entirely misunderstand this, and when someone actually would be, make the Apostle Paul's words useful in a similar way with the church today, we think that must be pride. And I say, be careful. Be careful that you don't call humility proud. Okay, that was for free. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of the mind. And then it, this goes into Christ. And what do we see in Christ? I've preached this. Joel's preached this. We've gotten into the weeds and the details of this passage about Christ's incarnation and Christ's humiliation. Um, the main point here that all you need to know is that in Christ's emptying of himself, he did not give up anything. He added manhood and his glory was not given up. It was veiled. It was veiled 
so that he could walk among men. Okay? But in the emptying of himself, he didn't give up anything. He added manhood, taking the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, taking on bodily weakness and illness and the ability to die. Subjecting himself to death as we die and yet far worse. And so in Christ, we see in verse 8, being found in human form, He what? He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself. It's important that you realize when I'm talking about humiliation, I'm not just talking about something you feel. I want you to humiliate yourself. I want you to humiliate yourself for the good of others. For the good of your spouse. For the good of your children. Humiliate yourself. Let your shame be known and open and your failures plain and get lower so that somebody else wins and you lose. You know, it's like this is what you're dying for your kids to just one time do. Would somebody just lose? Just like be willing to lose. Because <laughs> you know that's the end of the conflict. But children aren't wise to this yet. Are you wise to this though? Are you wise to this? You humiliate yourself. And it's a kind of suffering. In Christ, we see He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The most humiliating death. The absolute most humiliating death. A byword and a curse. The shame and the actual suffering of being humiliated under the judgment of God, His Father. And that is what everyone who rejects Christ will be. If you reject Christ, you will be humiliated under the judgment of God. So would you prefer to humble yourself now, humiliate yourself in your sins, and fall at the feet of Christ the Savior? Or be humiliated by God in the last day? Christ humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's the example of Christ here. There's also the example of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is being scorned in the book of Philippians. He's being scorned by other teachers of the Gospel. And the scorn is uh, in, verses 15, in verse 15. And following of chapter 1, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. In other words, the question is, why is the Apostle Paul in prison? Why is the Apostle Paul suffering like this in his ministry for the gospel? Why? Well, the, the other preachers in his day who preach from goodwill understand this is how you suffer for the gospel. You die and sometimes you end up in prison. You do things and you say things that the world hates and they throw you in prison. Those who preach from goodwill understand that. But there's also some who preach from rivalry and envy. That's verse 17. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely. In other words, they're not just proclaiming Christ sincerely for the salvation of the world. They're trying to gain an advantage over him by essentially saying the Apostle Paul's doing it wrong and that's why he's in prison. The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. You think, well, what would that sound like? Well, it would sound like what pastors are masters of today. You know, in uh, every city in America where there's multiple churches. You know, this is where you have know, the whole competitive church stupidity, arrogance, rivalry. Rivalry um, is a great word for it. This is where pastors are masters of taking advantage of another church's sufferings. Oh. 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 
people are in conflict with their families? Oh, what, oh, what, what kind of overboard what kind of place is that? What are they really teaching you over there? D- discipline? Dis- discipline? Well, our, our church believes in grace. We, we really believe that we're to have the heart of the father and the prodigal son story. Rivalry. Oh, some people left your church? Oh. Like, what a wild idea. Somebody would leave a church. <laughs> you know? it's like, why is it not a wild idea that a bunch of sinners would ever stay? <laughs> They're suffering, so this is what, this is what the Apostle Paul is, is in the middle of. right? And so... Um, he's, he's in prison. He's also, what's amazing about him is he's still rejoicing that the gospel's going forth, however insincerely, from those actually seeking to afflict him because the gospel actually is still going forth. And God can still save people through the gospel of those who are insincere in their preaching, which is really wonderful. And so the Apostle Paul's rejoicing at that. So they still can't get him. He just can't get him. And so... He's scorned, he's in prison, and then what, what, what is described, just jump down to verse 17 of chapter 2. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, even I, if I am to be poured out to death for your faith, I am glad. And rejoice with you all. Do you see? Do you see the death in Christ? Do you see the death to self? You before me. Death to self. The church before my life. Death of Christ. And the Apostle Paul. Death to self and suffering for the benefit of the Philippian church. Even I, if I have to be poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. This is what humility is. This is what humiliation and humiliating ourselves for Christ looks like. Death to self so that you are before me. Then you see the examples of both Timothy and Epaphroditus in uh, the final and closing uh, two paragraphs. First is Timothy. Now, here's what you think. When you read your Bible, you think, oh, okay, well, the Apostle Paul said some cool things about Jesus. Um, Then he gave a couple commands. And now he's just going to tell some, give some travel details. Now it's just a travel log of, you know, here's where Timothy's going and here's where Epaphroditus is going. And that's what you think when you kind of read this, but you, you entirely missed that the Apostle Paul is a genius. He's a genius. And the Holy Spirit has written here further examples of what humility looks like. It's all tied up in the work of Timothy and Epaphroditus. It's really a beautiful thing. Well, pick it up with Timothy here. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. It's like, I just want to hear that you're doing well. You know, when someone moves from Bloomington and they, and from Bloomington Bible Church, and they move away, and they find another church somewhere, I just want to hear that they're doing well. You know? And um, for I have, and here's what, the, here's what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, for I have no one like him. I mean, this is, Timothy is precious to the Apostle Paul.
most of you would have loved to have been thought of this by your fathers. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for himself, for your welfare, for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And people think I'm out to lunch for criticizing celebrity preachers today. Just shoot me. What does the Bible say? So it's like, it's like in Paul's day, there were a bunch of bad guys, all, all seeking their own interests. We don't have those anymore. Certainly not in America. When it's like, where else would they be? <laughs> Come on. Oh, and what's so encouraging to me is you actually understand what I'm saying. What's frustrating to me is pastors don't understand how simple this is. I can't get my friends to understand how simple this is. You know, it's like, well, what does this say? Well, it just has no application. There's no application, you know, unless it's T.D. Jakes or something. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How is Timothy's proven worth put on display? How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the Gospel. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the Gospel. And how does that prove Timothy's worth? Well, let's start with this. That means Timothy has been with the Apostle Paul in all of his sufferings, and you know what he hasn't done? He hasn't left him, and he hasn't judged him. What do sons always do to their fathers? Every one of you. Every one of you men. What do you always want to do with your father? You judge them. You always judge them. What do sons always do with their fathers? They judge them. It's not that there's probably not... Look, there's plenty of things to make a judgment about. But you judge them. Somehow, by God's grace, Timothy served as a dearly loved son of the Apostle Paul. He didn't judge him like others did when he was suffering. Well, you didn't say that just right, Paul. That tone was just a little too sharp. Timothy must have actually put the cause of the gospel above judging his father and just loved him. And just loved him. My son said to me the other day when we were sitting at the dinner table, he said, uh, well, you really haven't taught us that much of the Bible. And in one sense, it's like, yeah, I mean, how do I argue with that? You know, and then in another sense, it's like, yeah, it's also a little judgmental too. <laughs> but my, you know, what my sons do after the service, after I finish preaching, I don't know why this started or how it got started, but um, they would always just be like the first one to come give me a big hug after I had finished preaching. And, you know, I never knew it would be something that would just be so strengthening to me to have my sons just see the work of their father and to see their father 
I don't know if it was something about them seeing their father kind of pouring himself out to the church, you know, week in and week out, and kind of the spiritual exertion and the emotional exertion that preaching is, and they felt some sympathy for me. But, I mean, if they don't come give me a hug now, I just, I feel kind of lost. I'm just so used to the strengthening of my sons wanting to strengthen their dad. And it's humble for them to do that. How many teenagers come and hug their father today and do it publicly? It's so humble for them. And it means so much to me. And this is something of the Apostle Paul saying, that's Timothy's proven worth. He served with me in the gospel. Do you think my sons couldn't look at me and just go, you're not even worthy to be a pastor? Do you think they couldn't do that? Just very thankful for them and God's grace. I would just tell you, Timothy's a young man. There's no doubt that Timothy actually needed humiliated by actually the hand of the Apostle Paul for him to grow up to maturity. And young men and teenagers and children especially, you need humiliated by those who are older than you. You need humiliated. You need your sins told to you. You need humiliated to understand yourself as you are so that you can look to Christ and find in Christ what those older than you have found in Christ. His mercy and salvation. His forgiveness. And fathers, if you want the hearts of your sons, Tell them, humiliate yourself in front of your sons. Humiliate yourself. Tell them your failures. Tell them every stupid thing you've ever done. And as you learn more about your stupid, tell them that too. That's how you win the, the hearts of your sons. Of course, it's more than that, but I'll tell you, if you get a lot of other stuff done and don't get that one done, you leave open a vacuum for your children's affections to go to a lot of other places than to you. Just humiliate yourself. It's like we all think that when persecution comes, we're all ready to humiliate ourselves unto death. We won't even tell our spouse that they were right and we were wrong. So I'm trying to humiliate you a little bit. Young people, don't become those who hide yourself away in your room and neglect your family and avoid your father. You get one. And let me tell you, young people, all of you who still have a father, I don't. And do you not think that I would not love to go back and take back an endless amount of things that I said and did and just seek my father's forgiveness and I will never have that chance. And my father was an alcoholic. And every single one of you who have a father who's a Christian, who is a man of God who's imperfect and yet growing, you honor him. And you don't just judge him. 
you have no idea how much more humiliation he's been through than you have yet. And this is why you young men especially need to listen to older men so that you can actually have a good relationship with your father. And you can actually serve together in the gospel. Timothy. And then there's this example of Epaphroditus, which is just really incredible. Now, you should know that the, uh, the reason for writing the book of, or the letter, the epistle, to the Philippian church was that the Apostle Paul was in prison, and the Philippians had sent a financial gift to him to support him in his life and ministry and to minister to his need. And Epaphroditus is the guy who is the one who carried the money to the Apostle Paul in prison. Okay, So that's why these things are said um, when you see uh, in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. First of all, do you hear, listen to the words carefully. Just, just think about the side-by-side affection and sympathy love of these words. The togetherness of them. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier. And your messenger and minister to my needs. See, that's, that's where uh, we understand that the financial gift was given to the Apostle Paul through Epaphroditus. He brought this gift to him, and the Apostle Paul acknowledges it there. And here's, just think about this. Verse 26, here's what, it's, here's what the Apostle Paul says of him. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So here you have the humility of Epaphroditus He's ill. The Apostle Paul says in just a second, he says, he is very ill. Near to death, actually. But he's worried about you because you heard that he was ill. But you don't have text messages. You can't get constant updates. Right? You know, this doesn't all happen quickly. So they heard he was ill, but they don't know that he's better now. He's worried about them. So even in his illness, he's distressed about... Do you hear the death to sell... How I feel isn't the most important thing. What's better for you is the most important thing. Whether I'm sick or well is not the most important thing. Your well-being is the most important thing, even while I'm sick or well, sick or well. That's Epaphroditus. And not only that, the Apostle Paul says in verse 29 of Epaphroditus, so receive him in the Lord. So he's going to go back. He's going to give a good report. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. In other words, Epaphroditus risks his life, nearly complete death to himself for the good of the Apostle Paul. Death to himself. You before me. And in the working together of this sweet unity and love, the Gospel of Jesus Christ advances. The Gospel of Jesus Christ advances. Epaphroditus wasn't ashamed of the Apostle Paul's sufferings. Don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me. And I'm not saying I'm suffering anything like that. But you know very well how easy it is for you to think thoughts 
of being ashamed of me. Something about me, something I say or do, that makes you want to patronize me. Don't be ashamed of me. In other words, you actually have to humiliate yourself and put me before you in certain ways. Don't be ashamed of me. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of the ways that you're suffering. I'm not ashamed of the ways you're having to endure all kinds of ill treatment. I'm not ashamed of the ways that you fail when you are trying to do something for the Lord and it all goes bad. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of what's still lacking in your marriage. And if you risked actually confessing your sin to me, what do you think would happen? Do you think I would be ashamed of you? Or do you think I would love you? What do you think would actually happen? One of the things that most promotes a pastor's love is somebody confessing their sin to him. I'm not ashamed of you. not ashamed of you regardless of the sins you committed. I'm not ashamed of you for the sufferings you experience. Jesus is ashamed of those in Luke 9.26 for whoever is ashamed of me And of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I'm ashamed of those who reject Christ and his words. I'm not ashamed of you, dear brothers and sisters. God has you right where he has you on purpose. Why would I be ashamed of that? Well, the constant danger is to unity. If we don't humble ourselves, I think I've covered sufficiently, but in verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Or strife and vain glory. Do nothing from ambition that's just going to cause strife. That's just childish. Humble yourself and work for peace. Is that causes you realize sometimes having to work for peace requires your own humiliation. Because it squashes your ambition to be right, to win, to whatever. To, to make sure that people hear your opinion. For your opinion to rule, you have to humiliate yourself so that your opinion doesn't get to rule. Your vainglory, your self-importance. Over to verse 14, do all things without grumbling or murmuring. Murmuring. Murmurers have a way of finding each other, and they always are so destructive to unity. Because one murmurer can set back the work of a faithful pastor for years. For years. You realize how much of a hindrance to the advance of the gospel that murmuring, or if it's questioning, just public disputing. How much of a hindrance that is to the advance of the gospel. 
If you think there's not some serious things writing on Philippians chapter 2 and the need to humiliate ourselves in moments, in real moments, where we have to humiliate ourselves so that somebody else is more important than us. And then holding fast, verse 16, the word of life. How are you going to shine in this generation? Well, you're not going to be a grumbler or a disputer. You're going to hold fast to the word of life. And you know what? Holding fast to the word of life puts the world before you. It puts a lost and dying world before you. Because you may very well suffer for holding fast to the word of life. And when you suffer with character, you put burning holes, coals on the heads of those who are your persecutors. Holding fast to the word of life. This is how you shine in this generation. Holding fast to the word of life requires humility requires God's glory before you. Dying to yourself so that God Himself and His work in Christ is put on display. That's what the Apostle Paul is concerned about. It's like, I don't want to feel like I've labored in vain. I want to feel proud of you. I want to feel proud of you. And then finally... This, in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, I think that in a lot of ways about our church, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, in other words, don't just obey because I'm around, (laughs) you know, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because your life is lived before the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is exalted to the Father's right hand. So work out this humility in yourselves with some fear and some trembling before Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the flow of the argument. That's what the therefore is there for. Because Christ is King and Christ is Lord and He dwells in unapproachable light. In His glory no man can behold and live. So work out your salvation and your humiliation with fear and trembling. Humbling doesn't always just happen to you. You work it out. Why? Because God's at work in you. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Fear and trembling because Almighty God is at work in you. Don't get drowsy and self-confident. Don't let yourself remain drowsy spiritually and overly confident in yourself and in your progress, and in your maturity. Work it out with fear and trembling. Because God is near. And God is at work. And your life is lived before the King of kings and Lord of lords always. And He always knows. And He always sees. The beginning of becoming a Christian is humiliating yourself. It's humiliating yourself that you in and of yourself and you and your best efforts and you and your good works and you and whatever is going to earn you or merit you God's favor in the last day when you stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. It's humiliating yourself and recognizing that all of that is complete rubbish before the righteousness of King Jesus. He is a blazing, consuming fire. And if you do not have His righteousness, when you stand before Him, you will be consumed like chaff in the wind. 
you humiliate yourself and recognize that you will never merit the righteousness of God yourself. You need a righteousness outside of yourself. And that's what Christ did for you. He gave up His life so that His righteousness could be counted to all who believe and the penalty for your sins could be paid in full. And the justice of God could be served to Him so that the mercy of God could be yours. That's the beginning of humiliation. That's the beginning of being a Christian. And if you've never experienced that kind of humiliation, then you can't be a Christian. And I would just say, come to Jesus repenting in humiliation and entrust yourself to Jesus. And in humiliation, stop trusting in yourself to be made right with God. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and you find His welcome and you find His pardon and you find His forgiveness and you find His acceptance and in humiliation you find an eternal salvation that will exalt you with Him. Stand with me for prayer. Father, please draw to Yourself any in the hearing of Your Gospel who are lost. Seek them and find them. Bear fruit through Your Gospel. And oh God, lead us into humiliating ourselves. Confessing sin. Seeking forgiveness. Telling other people that they were right and we were wrong. Serving together side by side for the faith of the Gospel. Help us to work it out with fear and trembling lest we put the Gospel and its advance at risk even in the life of this family. How much grief I would have if the unity of this church was compromised. And so I pray that we would care much about what You care much for, Lord Jesus, when You prayed that we would be one. And may we be careful in our obedience and in our humiliation and our marriages and with our children. And may You bear fruit through it as we entrust ourselves to You and to Your grace and to nothing in our hands that we bring. We exalt You Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, the one worthy of all glory and honor and wisdom and power and praise forever and ever. Amen.